Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, uh, we'll be out of uh, Galatians 4, and I know Brother John Mark uh, had, I think, the same passage last week, uh, but I'd already written mine, so I wasn't going to change it. <laughs> so, But uh, I'll be going in a similar, but maybe a kind of a different direction. Uh, but we'll start in Galatians 4, and then uh, I'm going to have several references throughout that you won't necessarily need to turn to because uh, we'll, we'll be jumping all over. But uh, basically, uh, we'll start in Galatians 4 and then go from there. So, starting with verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Our family has many special traditions during this time of year. Uh, we usually go to the Fouch's Christmas tree farm, uh, pick out a Christmas tree. We've been doing that since Alexandra was a little bitty. And uh, Angie makes lots of cookies with the girls, and then we... Uh, we drive around town usually with hot chocolate, uh, looking at the Christmas lights. And each night of Advent, we read through a Christmas-themed story with a biblical message. And this time of year is, is a real special family time where we, we really try to spend a lot of time together and, and, and enjoy this time. Um, I found that among Christians, there often just seem to be two overarching generalized views when it comes to Christmas, the Christmas season. There are those who find it no more important than any other day and those who seem to focus on it more than any other day. And I'm, I know that I'm, I'm kind of grossly generalizing here, but uh, please bear with me. Um, I've heard the underexcited claim we really shouldn't celebrate the Christmas holiday because December 25th isn't really the day Christ was born. That's probably true. Um, it's really based on the timing of pagan worship of the winter solstice and that Christmas has become too focused on commercialism and greed to really represent the birth of Christ. And on the other side of the coin, I've seen the overexcited almost gasp when they discover not everyone puts up their 25 Christmas trees the day after Thanksgiving, <laughs> not everyone listens to Christmas carols 24-7, 365, and not everyone is offended when a non-believer says happy holidays in the checkout line. And in all honesty, I've been in both camps at some point throughout my life. Now, before anyone's confused that this is either a denouncement or an endorsement for celebrating Christmas, um, I'd like to quickly reference Romans 14, uh, verses 5 through 6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So to the underexcited, I would say, be fully convinced and abstain in the honor of the Lord. And to the overexcited, I say, be fully convinced and observe it in the honor of the Lord. But to all those who may be vacillating, I would like to offer a bit of what I'd like to call the context of Christmas that is, when I say Christmas, I'm speaking about Jesus' birth, not the, uh, the holiday that we're given off from work, but the biblical story of Jesus' birth. So uh, the reason I call it the context of Christmas is when I am 
answering a question to my children, I often find that, um, or, or listening to a story to them, I often find that I'm at a loss because I don't understand the greater context at to which they are speaking. Uh, for example, my youngest came to me once and asked if she was allergic to peaches. I couldn't understand why she was asking me if she was allergic to peaches. Her sisters have nut allergies, but none is allergic to peaches, plus we don't really eat a lot of peaches in my house, so I don't know why she was asking that. However, a couple weeks later, we were watching a cartoon together, and the main character on the cartoon found out that he was allergic to peaches. Ah, context. So Christmas seems to be one of those biblical events that is often portrayed out of the context. People focus on either the child in the manger, or they focus on the greatest gift, or, or the three wise men, or something like that, without looking at Christ's birth within the greater context of the biblical story of redemption. So today, I'd like to dig into the who, what, when, where, and why of the nativity to get at that context of Christmas. So first, who? God sent forth his son. So this seems simple enough, Jesus Christ. We could have an entire year of sermons on the person of Christ and not even scratch the surface. Who is Jesus? If we look at Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, it tells us, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In John 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. In John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then Isaiah 9, 6 says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Finally, in Hebrews 1, we have long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus was no mere prophet or great teacher or philosopher. He is the great I am. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. Do you want to know what all power is like? Look to Jesus. Do you want to know what perfect humility and submission is? Look to Jesus. Do you want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. Christmas isn't about a little baby in a manger or a great prophet or an amazing philosopher. It's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the who of Christmas. So next, the what. Born of a woman. Birth. So it's easy to focus on the miracle of a virgin birth because that is really a miracle. But let's not forget that there had to be a birth because the Son of God had to become flesh in order to live a perfect life, in order to be the perfect atonement. The creator had to take the form of his creation in order to redeem it. So if we look at Luke 1, verse 
verses 26 through 35. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. If we look in John 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in Philippians 2, beginning with verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then, finally, in First John... In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God became man is the what of Christmas. So that's the what. The where. Born under the law. So you may be thinking Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's the where. And you are correct, and not just any Bethlehem, but Bethlehem Ephrata, which is in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, if we look at Micah 5.2, and I think we read this last week as well. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Uh, I would say the vast majority of, I would say probably most non-believers, but there are many Christians that don't realize that there were actually two Bethlehems. There was a Bethlehem Ephrata, which was in the south, in the southern kingdom, and Bethlehem Zebulun, which was in the northern kingdom, near Nazareth. So Joseph and his young pregnant bride, who lived in Nazareth, near the northern Bethlehem, actually had to travel past that Bethlehem, 
to the distant Bethlehem in the southern kingdom because Caesar's census uh, caused Joseph to go to his town of lineage, which was David's Bethlehem. So uh, that's a, a where of Bethlehem. But I want to look more past the physical and look into the metaphysical of the where. Under the law, what does that mean? Well, if we look in Galatians... In verse 16, it says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and your offspring, who is Christ. So we look at Galatians 3, and we see Paul laying out the case that a promise was given to Abraham and his offspring, who is Christ. The promise is life through faith. In verse 19, we see, um, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Uh, sorry, intermediary. The promise is life through faith. And verse 19 says that the law was added because of transgressions, revealing man's utter sinfulness and inability to save himself. So man was not capable of being good enough to earn a Messiah. That's why the the law showed that he was utterly incapable of earning the Messiah. Uh, Verse 24 says that the law was our guardian or schoolmaster until Christ came. So we look at verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But in order for that justification, Christ had to fulfill the law perfectly. So he had to be born under the law. So if we look at Matthew 5, these are words straight from Jesus. Matthew 5.17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And then in Romans 8, 1 through 4, you don't need to turn there. Uh, It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So for Christ to fulfill the law perfectly and set us free from the law, he had to be born under the law. And really, that's the the actual wear of Christmas, born under the law. The when, but when the fullness of time had come. And I think there's several ways to look at at the fullness of time. Um, The first one is from a human history standpoint. And uh, John Mark uh, spoke a little bit about this last week. But... Uh, at the time of Christ's birth and subsequent life was when the Roman Empire was reaching out into the corners of the world. If you look at how God was orchestrating this, the Roman Empire, uh, the Pax Romana, was 
was going everywhere into the known earth at that time. And if you think about the mere fact of Paul being a Roman citizen, uh, allowing him to say, I appeal to Caesar, and then carry the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome with the Romans taking him, um, it was also a time when the Greek language was permeating multiple cultures, allowing all different people groups to hear the good news. Greek was the primary language, and so you had all these different people groups, different tribal languages, but they had a common language that they could speak. And so from God's timing of that, uh, the gospel message was able to be preached in a, in a common language. And then finally, uh, many pagans were starting to lose faith in their own gods, and if you look in Acts 19.24, you see the silversmith Demetrius and the Artemis worshipers that are losing faith in their, in their idols. So uh, these pagans were primed for the gospel message. So if you look at it from that human standpoint and God orchestrating everything from the beginning of time to lead up to this perfect point in history, and if we look at Job 12 and verse 13, it says, With God are wisdom and might, he has counsel and understanding. And in 23, it says, he makes nations great, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations, and he leads them away. So you see God is orchestrating all of this together and, and lining up the time. But I think more importantly, uh, if you look at it, not the human history standpoint, but the timing aspect of Christ's birth was perfectly timed to fulfill God's promise about his birth and life. And so human history, he's, he's organizing all these things and lining them up, and he's lining them up perfectly to, to fulfill the promise that he had given, uh, because if he says something, it, it's going to happen. And so that's what he's organizing. So if we look at Matthew one twenty one, It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Matthew's saying that it happened specifically because God said it was going to happen, and therefore it must happen. So I think that's some... Uh, uh, a really important aspect of this is it had to happen. Um, if we look at Matthew 5, um, I think I have the wrong verse down here, actually. I do. That's not Matthew 5. It's Matthew 2, 13. Sorry about that. The flight to Egypt. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Again, all of these things took place in order 
to fulfill what God had said would happen because when God says it's going to happen, it has to happen. Um, and finally, uh, uh, tying directly into the where, Christ's birth was perfectly timed because the law had accomplished its purpose. And so let's look at one more, Luke 2. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this, I think, is one of the most amazing aspects here. You have Joseph and Mary who are making offerings according to the law of Moses for the birth of the very one who will fulfill the law of Moses. The firstborn male is dedicated to the Lord. That's a picture of Christ, the true firstborn. Two pigeons for purity and covering of sin. Again, that's a picture of Christ. The law had completed its purpose of showing the complete necessity for a savior. The law was fulfilled and faith in Christ brought life. That's the win of Christmas. Now the why. The why is to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now we've all heard this cliche, Jesus is the reason for the season. But the reason for his birth is our redemption. So in Matthew one twenty one, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then in Luke 2, verses 8 through 14, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then finally, if we look at Luke 2, verses 28 through 32, when Jesus is presented in the temple, um, it says, he took, the, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Remember, he's holding Jesus and looking at him, this baby, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Christmas is the gospel. Man sinned and brought a curse, which is eternal death upon himself. Man is wholly wicked and wholly incapable of saving himself. God became man to live a sinless life under the curse and become the perfect atonement for all of our sins. 
By God's grace through faith in Christ, we have life eternal in his presence and glory. We needed a redeemer, and that's the why of Christmas. So I have a final challenge. Uh, To the underexcited, those who aren't really excited about this time of year, might I challenge you to take a modified approach to Christmas. Instead of treating it as no different than any other day that you give thanks to God for, treat every other day as no different than the day Emmanuel, God with us, was born. Whether or not that was December 25th. And to the overexcited, might I challenge you to not miss this opportunity when the unbelieving world is ever so slightly less focused on self-love to openly present the real meaning of Christmas, redemption from sin. And with that, may I say, may the Lord truly bless you this Christmas.